0: A FAM Production. Furniture and Mattress. FAM.News.
1: Yo, what up, fam? Welcome to another episode. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and today we are talking about comedy. (laughs) So a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe I guess a couple of months ago now, I traveled from my home in North Carolina down to Florida uh, and I was going to make a visit with the people at City Furniture and I bumped into this guy named Sam and Sam is the merchandising manager for bedding at City and we kind of hit it off at first and I thought he was kind of good people Um, but then he mentioned one of the things he does in his pastime, and it really got my attention because it's something that has been on my bucket list for a very, very long time, and that is stand-up comedy. And I don't know, man, I I just think that anyone who has the, uh, let's say, intestinal fortitude to stand up in front of a group of people with an expectation that you will make them laugh is, definitely has some courage so today we are here with uh with my guy sam to talk about mattresses and selling and comedy and communication and uh let's see what else comes up sam what's up bro what's
0: up doug how you doing man I'm good man i'm good thanks Welcome for to the show yeah thanks for coming down to florida and seeing us it's good to see you again um i could definitely tell you that you know, expecting an audience to laugh if you go into a, an open mic or into a club, a spot, um, that's the wrong way to go about it. You cannot expect people. You have no expectations when you go in there, and that typically serves your ego a little bit better. Uh, but nonetheless, I completely agree with you. You know, uh, you want them to laugh. You want them to be entertained. You want them to uh, possibly heal so when I started doing stand up, that was the the big thing that was imparted to me by a, a mentor of mine was you're a healer, healing people mm. before you're doing the other things. Which yeah, you are expecting people to laugh, you're hoping that they laugh, and you're you know having a good time and and uh, uh, hopefully uh, making someone feel better when they leave than when they showed up. So. But uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm glad you came down, man. I love I love talking about this stuff with you because uh, at the end of the day, you know, I know we got mattresses on the mind, uh, but we certainly you know like like to have fun with the whole uh, ordeal of buying a mattress, making it less of an ordeal, hopefully yeah. with comedy, you know. Yeah.
1: So, so that that really strikes me, man, because it's like, okay, so if as a stand-up comedian, because I haven't done it yet, right? We've, right. We're, we're making our plans yeah. to get me on an open. We way. will, we will, we'll find one. So it's news to me that you wouldn't expect people to laugh, right? right? So, so does that mean you ex, you expect
0: to bomb? Uh, not so much bomb. I would expect to feel good, and I'm learning that. You can achieve feeling good despite a negative reaction or a lack thereof reaction because if I'm healing, if I'm taking something off of myself to share it with others, taking something off my chest uh, to share with others, uh, the expectation cannot be that they're going to like it or that they're going to like me. Uh, because all they get is, a, a, for most parts with an open mic, an introduction to me, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, that they like me, I, I'm okay with no laughing and they like me. I'm okay with hmm, what's going on here and, and, and no laughing. So, uh, that, that's really w- where I'm, I'm obviously trying to save my ego. I'm mm-hmm. trying to feel better, uh, about not having expectations, I'm, I'm definitely, um, you know, wanting that result. And, and, and the result is typically there, um, but it, it's, it's not there by coincidence, it's there by working.
1: So can they like you and not like your content?
0: Sure, that's a possibility.
1: Can I, they like your content and not like you?
0: Um, that's, I don't think it goes that way. No. I, th- I think uh, the, the content pulls the personality. Um, because at the end of the day, you do have to put something on their ears that that turns them up, turns them to you, because at the end of the day, if you're saying something that's just silly or... And this is what I mean going back to healing. I mean, hearing certain words uh, changes uh, perspective, okay? And it happens a lot in therapy. If anybody Mm. sees a therapist and you know, um, you, you might be given some instructions for, you know, dealing with anxiety in a certain way, breathing a certain way or whatever. But sometimes you're just desperately trying to hear the right sentence. You're trying to, to, to create the, the, the end of the equation. You're trying to, to know what that is. And to be honest, when you're, uh, doing up comedy or if you're doing any sort of entertainment, you have the, potential to do that for someone in, in three seconds, five seconds, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm. So, uh, I yeah. want to laugh, uh, of course, but it's hard for me to do so. So I like, I always try to put myself into the shoes of an audience member and I go, okay, well, here's this curly headed guy up on stage, you know, he looks like a six foot gnome or whatever it is that, <laughs> you know, again, I try to bring myself like humble myself in the eyes of the audience and then at the end of the day, I try to just offer them something, and that that's that's what gets you to go to the stage. Because if mm. you worry about them laughing or not, you're not going to go. You're going to be scared, mm. and that happens.
1: So, do you think that's why most people are like horrified of it?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to do it. There's no way they they can't put themselves out there. They're they're not a piece of meat, but you have to be one. Mm. Um, and I'm only speaking from if there's any uh, stand-up comedians out there have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, uh, they're going, you got it kid. You understand it. But you know, the, the real, the real effort or, or the real, uh, result comes from the effort of doing it over and over again because you can't just walk out and be charming once and think it's going to work for you over and over again. You know, it's just the same thing with sales. Yeah. You can't be a one trick pony.
1: Yeah. It's something that, um, I think I talked about this in a previous episode. I don't know. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. Um, but it's, it's, it kind of goes back to the, uh, the unrealistic expectation of confidence, right? People think that you can just choose, like as kids we're told, like, like just be confident, go out, go out there, be confident. You know what I mean? But it's like, that's not how confidence works. You know what I mean? Confidence is not a choice. Confidence is something that you earn, Mm, right? And uh you can only, so, so then people go, okay, so if I can't choose to be confident, I confident, I have to earn it. How do I earn it? And the answer is courage, Mm -hmm. right? You have to have the courage to get your butt kicked or to bomb or to mess up or to fail, right? Mm -hmm. To then earn the right to be confident because, because you have evidence, Mm-hmm. That you've done something that's that other people choose not to do. It's like that, that uh, Seinfeld bit where he goes, and this is an old one where, where he says that, that that study said that there's that people would rather die uh, than give a presentation, mm-hmm. right? And so he goes, so what that means is people would rather be in the casket be the one in the casket, then be the one giving the eulogy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is hysterical, right? Mm-hmm. It's completely, it's a complete paradox that that would be true. But to your point, like, you can't just do it once and expect to be good. Like, you have to earn the right to be confident to then be good. Right. Right?
0: Yeah, and then, and to that is pride, I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of something that coincides with confidence is pride. And the funny thing about pride is I really don't, believe it's real. in in most of the cases that it's presented to me, in other words, you know, uh, to be proud of something that you were born with, you did not earn. Mm. Um, I have brown hair. I'm proud of it. Well, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Why? Okay. Yeah. I made an audience laugh last night. I'm proud of it. But you have to also be able to say, I went out on a stage and nobody laughed and I'm proud of it. Mm. And, uh, and, and so the, again, that that that's the reward for me with comedy. It's, it, I get to heal. And, and sometimes when you're practicing, you might, you know, if you and I did a class or something and there were 15 other individuals in there and we got to do open mics for each other on a weekly basis, you know, yeah, we're gonna have some of those nights where, hey man, everybody was laughing at everything I said, but it, you know, two weeks into it, they're hearing some of the same stuff. And then we're really there, um, preparing and working Mm. toward the actual performance, if you will, if there's like a recital, because usually with a class, there's some form of a show. Uh, But my point is, is working towards something that you can be confident about, be prideful of all, all that has to be earned. And, and that's why, you know, relating comedy to sales, earning. I mean, obviously the word invokes, who's earning what's earning there's many levels of that right but at, at the dollar exchange at the, at the person-to-person dollar exchange um, that's why I think it, comedy might go hand in hand with a sales process with a with a individual and we talked about this before too you, you know you asked me can you teach somebody to be funny mm-hmm. no but I think you can teach them to heal other people. Again, just to go back to what my boy Ramon, if Ramon ever listens to this, told me is, you're a healer healing other people. Do they feel better when they leave versus when they came in? And if we were working on that on a week to week basis, man, that's like better than comedy to me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because you can go on stage sometimes and you realize that, oh, I wanted to do this whole bit about, um, you know, wet bathrooms, the floors are wet and I hate it all the time, whatever it is, something you want to gripe about. I hate fill in the blank, right? This annoys me fill in the blank. But sometimes man, you really go in there and it's therapy. Like there were nights when I was working with the instructor and I would just get all these things off my chest that I felt like I would have told a professional in some setting. And that is not as useful, you know, in, in, in the, uh, sales arena. That's why I want to talk to you about like an audience right? and understanding the nature of an audience and, and what they want to have their attention on and what brought them there and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, it, you, you can, without a doubt on a week to week basis, even with it's just with people who aren't laughing at you, you can create something that you can take on the stage and be, you know, uh, proud of regardless mm. of the result that, and that, that's a, been a healthy way for me so far. Again, I might just be worried that you no know, people don't like me.
1: <laughs> it, you know what? It reminds me, I, I heard once about the, the history of laughter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've, if I've told you about this or not, No. but to me, it was one of the most remarkable stories um, that I think I've ever heard. They said, so when, when human beings before they were verbal, Mm-hmm. Right. So they communicated through body language gestures grunts. Right. So they're mm-hmm. they're nonverbal. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so when they would go out on a hunt, mm-hmm. right. So there would be noises that they would make because at some point somebody asked like, okay, so when something's funny, why do we make that noise? Right. Because that's a weird noise. Mm-hmm. If you really like out of context, if you really listen to laughter, it's a weird noise. You know what right. I mean? Everyone kind of has their own way, right? Yes. And so the story that I heard said that before people were ver- when they were nonverbal, they would go out on a hunt. And so let's say they come around a come around a corner and the the person that's in the lead sees a tiger. And so naturally, people and still to this day, when you see something that's scary and it startles you, you make a noise, right? You go, it, yeah. it takes your breath, right? You gotta, yeah. Right. Yeah. It takes your breath away. Right. And so that was the signal to there's danger, mm-hmm. right? <gasps> right. Mm-hmm. That kind of noise. Mm-hmm. But imagine that that tiger had its leg caught under a boulder mm-hmm. and it couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was completely helpless. The noise that they would make was laughter, was what we understand as laughter. And what it meant was that was scary, that was dangerous, that was terrifying, but now it's okay. Mm, right? right. And so when you say healing, like that's what I think about, right, right? It's like because in in my view, when I think about things that are funny, it's almost like all comedy is in some way critical. Yes, right? Like, and I don't know, maybe I heard that somewhere. Um, but to your point, like, when I, when, when you think about laughter and laughter really is met, like what, is, isn't that a saying, right? Laughter, laughter is, is, the, medicine. is the best medicine. Yes. Right. And so that, that may go all the way back like thousands and thousands and thousands of years of what you said is like, it's healing. And it really is. Like it says, yeah, of course, like it acknowledges that's scary. That's horrifying. That's obnoxious. That's terrible, but it's okay.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, you you go through a bunch of specials, and and the the pain that they unearth for the audience when they have perspective on it. Not you know, I've met comedians who say, "I can't talk about my my father passing," compared to this other comedian who can, because his father passed six years ago, mine passed six weeks ago, mm. and there are things you cannot necessarily bring in to the audience that is entertaining and laughter, because if you do tell someone and you go on stage and you have a moment and you're like, my dad passed or whatever it is a few weeks ago, but you know, uh, you trying to make a joke or something like that. You can't do it cause they can feel you mm. on stage. Yeah. Um, and so again, the reason why I've been in theater, acting and all these things my entire life is because it's the it's a very a movie was recorded uh you know was put on film two and a half years ago and it took two years for a movie to come out but when you're in an an audience whether it be stand-up comedy whether it be a dance performance, whatever it might be of the fine arts, watching someone play a piano, like on a, like a real, like big stage and, and that sort of thing. It's all about like sharing energy for one. Uh, and, and, and two, a human connection and something real that can be conveyed, like person to person it, that's the most effective way to heal. That's why I believe in theater. I believe like, when we come, when we keep kind of coming out of the pandemic and we can move around a little bit more and we're feeling more free, I really believe there's going to be like a 2020 renaissance of the fine arts. Mm. And yeah, comedy, stand-up comedy, I, is an aspect of fine arts because you cannot not have something refined for one that becomes an hour special. For instance, like I don't have an hour; I have ten minutes. you know mm. that I'm reliable on. I have a, a, a personality and, and fun with it that I'm, you know, I, I feel like I could be funny for an hour, but, you know, you actually have to to work to get that pride. You have to earn to get that right. pride and that sort of thing. So, yeah, man, I, I healing and that, that idea going back to our ancestors, that's why it's so effective, man. That's why you're, uh, an audience member's response to it is... is is. It's cellular. I don't mm-hmm. know what else to call it. Or it's, yeah, it's, it's built
1: in. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's as built in as maybe anything else that... Yeah. That 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 we that we do it's like a it's a factory setting.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> you know? it's human five G. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we share.
1: Yeah. So what do you think about this? Just kind of comes to mind. It seems to be like there's culturally right now there's a little bit of like attack on comedy. You know what I mean? Like yes, there is. Like there are things that you're not allowed to joke about. Of course. How, how do you? I I know I have my opinions on some of that stuff. How do you think about that?
0: Uh. A uh, great hot topic, Doug. Wonderful. Put me on the spot here for <laughs> such a uh no, no, it's who cares what I think. Uh Doug does. Thanks for caring today. Uh and anybody You can else. get cancelled off this podcast yeah, too. I know. Is, I, you know I, what I mean? I'm wondering. No. So I go back to the basics. I, I go back to the country I grew up in and understanding some of the fundamental things that I've been given in contrast to other countries in the world. Um which is a freedom of speech, which is something that I, I, I believe very deeply in so people who say things can say things, but you, you're never going to be free from consequence. Mm. Uh, it's just the way it is. it's the way life is. it's it's the way um, avati- as advertisers are. it's the way you know a lot of the money that circulates is uh, at the end of the day and, and that's why you know um, you can't go into a theater and, and yell fire and you right. know, the basic things, but when it comes to, the stage, it's a brush. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 tones and the enunciation and the consonants and the vowels that come out of your mouth is a brush, and that is cannot be uh, silenced. It, it it has to be there, and people have to be able to do it. And each individual has to understand that if I'm going to go down this path and be speaking, uh, you know, about hot topics and having, you know, unpopular opinions about them, you just, they just have to be prepared to understand like this is the way the world works, and there's going to be these people over here that support you and say so you can say whatever you want. Um, and and I don't think like a comedian could ever, you know, say enough to where he's galvanized some, you know. Army of resistors of his with his opinion that right. does, that doesn't exist, but there is certainly, you know, people who say things that 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 hurt others, and and that's one thing that I've always been kind of mindful of with comedy is I, I like to go up and have fun and joke about mattresses and roast people about oh uh, you sleep on this, you sleep on that. What are you thinking? You know, uh, throw it away. What's it got flowers on it? You know, um, you know, are you tending a garden in your bedroom or something? You know, just messing with people, but. I, I think that uh, the the people who are getting canceled, they're aware what they're walking into. Yeah. They're fully aware. And what are they getting canceled from? They're not getting canceled from their fans. Right. And if that's what they're garnering and that's what they want, then that's what they have. But if they want new fans, they want to spread, they want to be popular, you, you, you have to think of people like uh, Jim Gaffigan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might listen to him on a podcast. And you might hear an opinion. You might be like, oh, but you hear him on stage, man. And he is talk about his brush, his verbal brush. It is. Everybody <laughs> likes to look at it. It's the Bob Ross. It's it's right, It's right. it's It's universally accepted. Everybody's got a family. Everybody's got trouble. Everybody's got weight issues. Everybody's not tan enough. Everybody's got a big head and whatever he likes to talk about it's very relatable hot pockets hot pockets and uh but <laughs> otherwise yeah the the ones that are they're throwing up opinions and they're just trying to be i i feel like the dave Chappelle's of the world are trying to be like philosophers and mm. philosoph- philosophers in in history and i'm not calling him a philosopher i'm just saying that's what he's trying to achieve is this kind of tip of the spear opinion like i am the forefront of this mm-hmm. uh, i am trend like a new trend in this thought pattern well one it's never a new trend the thought pattern already exists it's just he's he's participating in it so but i don't know what what do you think i mean are we are we should we be not should we be editing ourselves should we be censoring ourselves
1: yeah i i think i would go a step further than than even saying that they're philosophers I, i i my perspective would be that comedians and artists are are the perhaps the prophets of our day, you know, it's like, because I mean, I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to, you know, freedom of speech, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why this, this, this weird, uh, uh, you know, test or this, this theory of, uh, of, uh, of the United States has lasted as long as it has. Yeah because we have this thing. You know what I mean? There's like only a handful of things that make us different than historically than anyone else. You know what I mean? And there there's a reason why the United States is the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's because we can say what we want and we can criticize, you know, ourselves and our government and our people and different groups of people, you know, and we can we can check our check each other. You know, it's like a, a lot of my a lot of my youth and young adulthood was spent playing basketball, mm-hmm. you know? And if you couldn't take a joke, if you couldn't take getting roasted, you couldn't play. Yeah. Because because verbally going after each other was the way we tested each other's resolve. Because if you can't take it on the bus, you're not going to be able to hack it on the court.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know
1: what I mean? Makes sense. And And so in some ways it's a way for us to, to, to become resilient without having to go through hard times, mm-hmm. actual hard times, right? And resilience only can happen normally, with the exception, I think, of that type of comedic criticism. It can only happen through actually going through hard times. Right. right? So I think it's one of the rare things that we can deliberately make ourselves stronger without having to actually be like, to your point, you can heal, right? I, I can, I can listen to something that's that deep as long as I know it's going to be okay, but I can still get the point. I can still get the lesson. You know what I mean? And I think the other part, and I think we forget this, I think as a culture, but like, bro, the market will decide, yeah. like, we don't have to cancel people. <laughs> like, right. the, like, um, it's like when uh, I forget his, his his real name, but Kramer when he like lost his mind yes. and did like the whole like like uh, like Michael
0: comp- Douglas. That's not his name. Yes.
1: Yeah. no, no, no. But he did like the whole like he lost. Richards, his mind. Michael yeah. Richards. There you go. He did the whole like racist like thing. It's like, bro, we didn't need to cancel him for that because right. the market decided. Correct. And it's like, oh yeah, we don't get down with that guy. Right, <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's because people think they might be getting a shock and a laugh out of the shock, but they are hurting people
1: that you, you yeah. can't,
0: you can, uh, when I talk about these, the brushstrokes of the, the verb, you know, there are some offensive paintings. It doesn't mean you can't offend somebody and, and being sympathetic to that, empathetic to that, I think is, is still important, but I think it's just as important. Like you're saying to let anything fly out of the mouth. It, it's, it's what our country was built on. Yeah. It's why I feel safe to a degree. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, to go back, you know, you mentioned basketball I I have a traumatic uh, memory. (laughs) Let's feel, let's feel. So let's see a little bit. (laughs) You know, I, my dad used to coach my sisters in basketball and then I was a kid. I'm I'm about, you know, six years younger than my middle sister. I'm the youngest in the family. And I, I started playing recreational basketball and we were, you know, one year we were great. Like, we were undefeated, you know, we were in the newspaper, and my dad was a coach, and we we're very proud, and I was pretty good, I was a big kid at the time, I, I, I was big, and then I got to high school, and then, and, you know, I you maxed out about six foot, okay, six foot in shoes, five uh, 5'11 and three quarters, I'll be honest right now, without shoes on, but here's my point, here's a traumatic memory, I'm an, art, like, I'm an artist, right, I went to school for acting, yeah. And I'm very much like, you could be telling me things, but I'll be like this. I'll be like looking over there and looking around and just kind of like, I'm listening though to everything that you're saying when I'm doing this. And the coach saw me doing this and I was kind of daydreaming and he takes the ball and he throws it into my gut as hard as he possibly can and knocks the wind out of me and it hurt. Like it hurt. It was very painful. Uh, and I was like, I'm quitting basketball and I'm never playing basketball ever again, but... I think this goes to the point of, like you were talking about your, your friends, you being able to take a joke, being able to roast each other and on the bus, on the court. It's the same thing. Well, you can catch somebody off guard and you can throw a ball into their gut and mm-hmm. knock the wind out of them. And that's the only thing that I would never take away from anybody that felt a certain way about something that was said. They, yeah. they have the right to feel that way. I have the right to say this. Uh, I'm not necessarily, like I said, I'm not a, you know, making strides to, you know, be a philosopher, to be a prophet, which I agree with, you know, um, it, it, it's more for me, uh, having fun, man, lets me do my create creative side, say some things I might not be able to say in a, in a normal setting. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, um, basketball was very traumatic. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) I I got out of uh, basketball and went into baseball. I was very successful with baseball. Mm. Uh, Nobody threw anything into my gut, just my cup, (laughs) Um, which was always fun. Um, But yeah, man, I I, I think... uh, Well, my question for you is, if I'm healing, if I am I uh, able to say whatever I want to say? Who, am I looking for a specific people to tell this to? Who, who, who do I consider as my, as my audience if I'm selling a mattress? Am I aware of who that is? Are there four different types of people, five different types of people, one, different, one type of person? Because at the end of the day, it seems like there's two sides when you go out on stage and you say something that upsets people, yep. the people who, Hey, ha 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 ha, ha. People like, Hey, I wish you didn't say that. Well, these people pay tickets to be here for one. And you know, yep. there's, there's that part of it. But like, I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is, um, do we care about the audience?
1: Hmm. So, so I think so. so and, and, I think that's why it's worth doing because we care Mm -hmm. you know it's like so i've got you mentioned your siblings i've got one sister and she's about five years younger than me Mm -hmm. and we give each other a really hard time like we don't get to see each other too much but there's a handful of times a year we'll get to the beach together me and my family and my mom is the master of This thing that my sister and I like to call the confuse and conquer technique, right? She will run you in a circle and you will do emotional gymnastics. And she is one of the absolute best on the planet. Like she is formidable in an argument and she can be dead wrong and all the evidence is against her. and She'll still beat you to a pulp, Mm -hmm. right? And so we grew up with that. And my sister and I, just last week, we were having this conversation. Um, we were talking about um, some, some work stuff. I was telling her some stuff going on with me. She was telling me some stuff going on with her. And we were talking about this other person that, um, that my sister was talking to that said that they just had a hard time being confident, like in a professional environment. And my sister goes, you know, it's just not something I've ever dealt with. And so I said to my sister, I was like you know why, right? Like, you know why you've never had a problem with that. And it didn't occur to her immediately. And I was like, well, because when we were 11, mom was verbally like kicking our ass and teaching us to be tough because there were no holds barred in our house. Like we clowned each other ruthlessly, right? But it was because we cared enough. It's it's like going to the doctor, right? The doctor never you walk into the doctor's office and the doctor never goes so where are you feeling great right the doctor never goes like what's the what's the strongest part of your body right you go into the doctor and they go so what hurts right where does it hurt Mm -hmm. and you go my hand Mm -hmm. right well what do they do they grab your hand and they start manipulating it and move it does this hurt well it doesn't hurt when i do this because they're looking for the pain point Mm. right and that's what my mom did for me, <laughs> and boy, sometimes, bro, it was <laughs> it was not fun. Um, but we found the pain points, and there are very there are very few times in my adult life where I've lost my composure, no matter how mad I've gotten, and I've always had command over my um, over over my reactions and responses. But it's only because of that, right? Because the nature of healing is you have to find the areas that hurt, right? Now, I, I don't think it's helpful to go and hurt people to create wounds, right? Right, that's a different, that's right. a whole different part of the conversation, right. right? You don't create them, but it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to um, to poke at a wound that's already open, yes. and, and that's another reason why. You know, that I, I think comedy is the comedians are the prophets of our day, you know, because oh, and by the way, if you're, you know, speaking pro a prophet in terms of like biblical history, like the Christian Bible, the Jewish Bible, uh, all the prophets were killed, mm-hmm. they didn't die of old age, right. <laughs> they were all killed by the people, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, it, it also is like. Okay, so this might be sort of a noble cause, but you got to know what you're signing up for. Right. You know what I mean? You got to know you you're probably signing up to be martyred. Mm-hmm. Right? And some people like Chappelle, like Rogan, right? They can get past stuff because of they've they've developed the following, right? But somebody just starting this maybe a bumpier road starting now as opposed to starting in 1991. Right. Right. When things were different. Right. Right. And you could, you could, you know, back in the Richard Pryor, George Carlin, like those sorts of, those sorts of guys that like really friggin' went for it. Oh yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Um, There's not a George Carlin anymore.
1: No. No.
0: I mean, uh, I mean, he, he wrote it, his line of, uh, you know, let's call it reckoning on things I don't know yeah 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 yeah. double use of the word meaning he likes to wreck things he likes to, to to bring things out and expose them and share his thoughts and his detest you know how he detests these sorts of things but I like you know if I am healing an audience I am identifying a pain point and then fixing it aren't I Mm-hmm. And I'm not realizing that. And I mean, I'm realizing that now as we go back and forth and we discuss this because this is, you know, it's, it's, funny. Like, you know, this, this podcasting thing is funny, everybody. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm here trying to, you know, have a nice organic conversation, but I'm also like trying to sound like I am smart.
1: <laughs> Coherent. I, hello everybody.
0: <laughs> I am very smart and understand these things and can relate them to you. And then perhaps we can all heal. Um. No, but it, it it it's interesting because now I you know what I was saying in the beginning it made it, it did kind of make it feel like I don't care what the audience thinks. I, I don't care how they react. I think I do care about them. Yeah. And when we are talking about relating comedy and sales, if you really don't take the stance of ultimately caring for the 100%. person across from you, they see that and they go seek somebody that does. Right. And it's a challenge, especially in, in, in my retail world. I mean, my doors are swinging off the hinges. Um, people are, you know, breaking through the glass to get into our stores. We have a really good position in the state compared to a lot of furniture companies. We have a really good in stock uh, supply chain team, uh, or in stock quantity supply chain team addressing those things. And it's hard to do that. In other words, you might come in and I don't have enough associates to handle all the customers. And if I divorce myself, even from Mm -hmm. a customer for five minutes, that plays into the idea that this person doesn't care. Right. So we actually have, we were discussing this earlier a a kind of basic component of our sales process is called we care but i really do think that comedy takes the idea of caring even further because you care to share a joke you care to like you're telling me you saw a guy belly flopping onto the mattress you 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 (laughs) care to to look stupid for a moment just to get a little chuckle out of somebody um you know the other day i was you know someone was wearing a a Grogu shirt and I said, Oh, it looks like you're wearing, you got baby Yoda. And she got very mad that I said ba- that baby, I said, baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I apologize to you and John Favreau for that. <laughs> um, but uh, then nonetheless, my, my point is is I'm identifying these things with this person just to show that I, I care about them as yep. little as they could be is a little exchange about, Oh, you like, the Mandalorian. I had a dream that uh, it was a weird conversation. What I'm, trying. I'm, just, I'm not really doing a good job of recapping it, but we talked about the Mandalorian and baby Yoda. And uh, But when you're going to the door because someone asked for you and you're leaving somebody in the mattress gallery, you it, the perception is that you don't care. Right. So how do you do that? Well, that, there's, there's problems in and of itself. Normally you got to turn these things over and have a good partner and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I am, I really like what you're telling me about this. You're making me really. I'm actually going to go into each audience from now, and then the first thing I'm going to say is, I care about every single one of you. <laughs> Just look <laughs> well, at them I, all in the eyes.
1: I think. I mean, so the, so the I think where selling and comedy, we're talking I mean, stand-up comedy with an audience. I think that where where the delineation there is, you know, you are talk you talk about healing, and it's like when you're doing stand-up, it seems to me that you're healing with the audience. Correct. You're not healing the audience, the audience, and you are, it it is a, it is a team sport. It is right. I like that. So if that's happening, what the benefit to that and to developing that skill is, is, is almost like I, I say the thing that makes salespeople, the best salespeople, the best salespeople is they have to have two characteristics. The first one is they have to have tough skin mm-hmm. and that's what comedy gets you yes, right. you sure. got to have tough skin and you can't take things. you got to be able to be sincere without being too serious. Yeah. Right. So you got to have tough skin. But the other thing and the thing that's that, that is all hard to have in addition to tough skin is you've got to have a soft heart, mm. right? Because you've got to care about people and keep your, keep your emotional connection without hardening yourself. Yes. Right. And so it's like, when it comes to stand up, well, what does that do for you? Or what does, um, what does being able to take a joke do for you? Well, when you get a no from a customer, you don't take it personal. Correct. Right. Like I had the benefit of, I started my sales career, um, like in a more of a, like a full-time capacity at my grandfather's furniture store. I was 12 and I'm selling to adults. Right. Right. And so I started taking no's before I hit puberty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so by the time I was in high school, I I I had and and sometimes this has even gotten me in a little bit of trouble. Um I've never been afraid to talk to people because they have a pos- a particular position or status or influence or affluence. Because like I had owners of companies when I was twelve telling me to go away and asking for a real salesperson. You know right, what I mean? Right. And it didn't, it also helped that I was terrible in school. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I was really skilled athletically. So I would walk into the, the into the gym and people would go, wow, that kid's really special. And then I walk into the classroom and they would go, wow, that kid's really special. And they meant different things, <laughs> right? By special. Right. And, you know, when you take those type of, criticisms then you kind of you kind of learn that like you're never as good as people say you are you're never as bad as they say you are and if you're able to take criticism then you're then you're able to be an effective salesperson because selling it it's like the guy the guy that belly flopped today and yeah. i was and for the for the audience so i'll walk into a city store today and I walk through the, 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 the furniture, uh, the, 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 the upholstery, the case goods, walking past stuff, going back to the, to the bedding, uh, gallery. And I see a salesperson interacting with a customer and the customer asks a question about motion transfer. And it's one of the, one of my favorite definitions, actually one of my favorite definitions of comedy of is, uh, or of humor is humor is when logic takes a left turn. There you go. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you think it's going to go this way and it goes the opposite way and that's funny. Right? right? That's how you make something funny. And the perfect example was this was this guy, the customer asked something about motion transfer and instead of explaining the motion transfer or asking the couple to lay down and one move around like you would expect, he just turns around about faces and full out as high as he can jump belly flops right in the middle of the bed. And lo and behold, he jumps on a tempur So he just, it just, yeah, just dies. The second he nice. hits it, no bounce, no move, no motion transfer. And the customers died laughing. I'm walking into the gallery. I can't help it. I die laughing. And I'm like, yo respect like yeah. that. Yeah. That is commitment. And it's like, if you haven't made a decision to buy from this dude yet, I think he's just earned the right. You know what right. I mean? And they're laughing. They're like, of course he has. You know what I mean? And that's that's humor. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that if you take yourself too serious. Yes. You can't do that if you're emotionally... If you're if your ego is fragile. Yeah. Right? Because that could have bombed. And yeah. they could have been like, bro, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah Like, yeah. what's wrong with you?
0: Inappropriate. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Or he could go, well, that's not what a professional does. Uh, right. You know what right. I mean? Exactly. Like, I think that's what that's the translation from comedy or putting yourself in a position to fail has to do with selling. Correct. Right? Yeah. Because like Zig Ziglar said, so Zig Ziglar said, um, uh, selling is simply a transference of emotion. Right. It's all it is. You know what I mean? So in, in your mind, so you've, you got into comedy, art, the arts along. So you started like young. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So it all started when I was six years. No, I, I'm not going to go back that far. I always had an affinity for putting on a show for the family. You know, I was the youngest, so you know, being the center natural. of attention was a natural thing for me. But you know, I I, I tend, you know, uh, maybe my parents and my sisters are a really easy audience, but they, I make them laugh pretty pretty uh, pretty often. Mm. And as I grew up, I I went, uh, you know, I actually managed to pass each grade. You know, I got through fourth and fifth and sixth. And, you know, I made my way through. And in high school, um, I did my first drama class. Mm. So what drama was to me at that point in time was, Everybody come in the class, and we're going to play some improv games. And one of the games that we played before anything else was this game called Freeze, where you would get into a circle, maybe 20 of you or however many are in the class. They'd say, Sam and Doug, go into the center of the circle, and you guys are going to start a scene, okay? And we're like, fine. And then the instructor says, "Doug, where are Doug and Sam? And someone would say, they're uh on a telephone pole okay and we like mime like we're hanging from a telephone pole uh who is doug who is sam uh doug is the engineer the the electrician or whoever's on the pole and sam's the customer and so now we've already created an absurd image why is the 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 engineer guy on the pole with the customer like when does a customer put on a uh, so then we act that out and maybe we climb down the pole and we have an issue or whatever it is and we get into a certain pose where like maybe you're like reaching your hand out to me and i'm like covering my head or whatever it is and someone will yell freeze and they'll go take the position of doug or whoever's pose they preferred and would start a new scene so if we were Mm -hmm. reaching for each other then maybe they can say, I, I can't get you Leo or whatever. Like maybe you start reenacting the Titanic. <laughs> I'll never let go. Y'all never let go. Uh, and then Liar. it's like, and then like the other one's like, what we're in three feet of water with, are you okay? Yeah. You know, right. Like whatever the, right. to, to make the other person look good yeah. and, and the yes. And then all that sort of stuff. So that's where I would say the performance arts came to me. Like my dad's always played piano. Uh, he was a musician. Uh, A guitar player he has all the instruments but he was a scientist growing up so he didn't really get to flex that creative side as much as he probably wanted to but I was relentless in that effort so when I initially had that class finally in in my 10th grade year well or my ninth grade year I said okay I had enough I'm gonna go and do the tv production class because they're using three thousand dollar cameras and I want to take what I'm learning here or what I've learned here about being funny and 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 creative, and put it on film, and learn how to use the computers, uh, these G five computers that they had at the at the school at the time. I was like, I'm taking advantage of that, but I didn't get into my first play until my twelfth grade year, when I auditioned for um, a play called The Foreigner, and there's actually a, a a poster in my room of the time I directed The Foreigner. So I went on to, at one point to direct it in a in a theater in Gainesville, Florida, but that's kind of where it began. I got bit by the improv bug, where it's everybody's having fun, everybody's laughing, energy is just whizzing around the room, the ball is in the air, people are having opportunities to be brilliant with a piece of comedy, to be real with maybe something like, improv, doing an improv scene doesn't mean that you have to like, say freeze and do something funny. You can, you can go to the person who's kneeling and say, my dog died or something like that. You know, you you can do whatever it is to, like you said, take a left turn. And then from there, what I realized, I morphed from the group and then doing the show on stage, the foreigner, I realized that there's another person in the room
1: Mm.
0: and that's the audience. And I'm referring to them as a person, but it's a group of people. And then that's what really got me going because I was like you, an, an athlete my whole life. I played baseball year round, and being a, a catcher, I was. You know, they called show, the show for the reason in the MLB because you're on stage, mm-hmm. the pressure's on you, and the moment, uh, if it's going to go well, is on you in that moment. So, like, I always kind of fed off that my whole life. Loved hitting home runs, loved throwing people out at second base, loved blocking a ball that, you know, got thrown into the dirt. And I was catching, like, Eric Thomas, who is Lamar Thomas's younger brother, who throws absolute gas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably broke my thumb several times. Freddie Lewis, who went on to the Yankees, he was a lefty throwing me just dirty, nasty things, falling into the ground all the time, and they trusted me with that. And I really liked that. And then out of high school, um, I went into a theater program in college and, and eventually wound up at the University of Florida doing their Bachelor of Fine Arts program for acting and it was the same thing i got to i had got to be given that pressure mm. to deliver two hours of lines my lines for you and 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 when we, you and i talk about improv and making the other person look good um that was always fuel for me and that that's carried into my career because if i was doing a, a shakespeare show and I was talking to the lead in the play as a supporting character. Like it was my job to yes, be reliable and let them know I'm going to get my lines across. and We're going to do the scene, but I'm going to do my job to entertain. I'm going to do my job to support you and your effort to do that. And being at city on the training side of things, which I get to do uh, often, uh, you know, besides other merchandising responsibilities, I get to do that. Mm. I get to feed that uh, person my lines to make them, look good on theirs Mm. and uh, so for me if I you know not only talk about stand-up comedy but we talk about like you're talking about the the world of comedy the world of entertainment and and, and performance entertainment creativity and all those sorts of things I really would be hard-pressed to believe that there's another type of degree I could have gotten that made me better at that at what I do Sure, a business degree would be great and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you learn a lot of technical things and you learn a lot of, you know, numbers and you could be a whiz kid and all that sort of stuff. But to me, I learned that acting in its basic form is 50% listening and 50% reacting. I'm going to learn my lines. If my If I think acting is delivering lines, you can see it on TV and streaming all the time. You can tell when people are, Listening and existing is more or less, and you can tell when people are delivering lines, and and I'm really picky, and I have my opinions about what who that would be and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, I can I can tell you that my life of live performance, theater, and ultimately now, as it's kind of turning out recently with the comedy stuff I've been trying to work on, uh, it, it's made me a a better communicator across the board because you can't just, you can care about, like we were talking about, you can care about the audience, but you have to have a conversation with the audience. You have to learn who they are in order to fill, f- fulfill those needs. And even when you do five or 10 minutes on, on an open mic, you can say one thing. Like, I think, uh, you know, it, I mean, there's c- comedians that will go up on stage and will like, all right, I'm going to get a, a kind of a, measure of how you guys feel about things up here. And they could be like the Island boys. You know, anybody, anybody know who the Island boys are? How do we feel? You know, they could do yeah. whatever it is to to take a, a, a litmus test of, of what would be the general uh response to their topic. So, uh, and my topic for the most part has been mattresses and, uh, I'm kind of, uh, just, I'm in a very unique position to have done as much theater as I've done and to continue to get to be on a stage in a different, with a different set of goals. Mm. And, and that's what I would hope comedy would do for, for any individual, and anybody listening to this, if you have the opportunity, and we're gonna get Doug out there, we're gonna get a mic in Doug's <laughs> hand, we're gonna get him in front of a, a group of strangers that he cares about deeply but he's going to say whatever he wants to them. <laughs> and, but he's going to, he's going to realize cause you've never done it. Right. No, never no, done it. No. Anybody who's never done it, just go do it. Just go do it. Like take your heart and cut it out of your chest and hand it to some people. And you don't have to tell them like your, your deepest insecurities and all that stuff. However, that stuff helps anything you bring to the table. That's fears, insecurities, insecurities, uh, you know, personal hangups and stuff like that. That's gold because it's truthful. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear, I'm sorry, Doug. Nobody wants to hear Doug go up and give his two cents on the Golden Gate Bridge and how they constructed it. And it was dangerous. And I feel this way about it. They want to know about him and what's coming from the inside. And, and that's always been a, 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 a part of my sales process too, as I call it, you know, it's easy word to say, but personalization. Like what's what's the R on your hat mean? Oh, resident home. Well, what's that? Tell me about yeah, you. I'm yeah, gonna yeah. pull you out of you. I'm right. Gonna make you exist in front of me. Mm. And uh, that's that's what the stage does, man. I I've been going on. I'm still going. He's not gonna cut me off. I'm just gonna continue talking until he interrupts me and says. I've actually else. left the room. Yeah. He's, not even here. Can you come back in here, Doug? Uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> Oh, that's my shadow. Yeah. Um, I got a little loud. Hope yeah. the levels didn't get too wacky there. Hello, everybody. Um, but yeah, man, I I I love comedy. I love seeing smiles on people's faces. And um, I mean, what do you what do you think? Like, uh, I see you writing some things down over there. You have thoughts going in your head.
1: It's, it's my it's just my to do list for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, I mean, like, what came to mind uh, for me uh, is. So I, I have never I have never stood on a stage and held a mic as as uh, as a comedian or someone trying to be a comedian or trying mm-hmm. to make people laugh right. Mm-hmm. So I've stood on bo- bunches of stages in front of bunches of different types of audiences, right. but never with the intention of this guy's gonna make you laugh. This right. guy's here for your enjoyment. It's always been for education or even entertainment there's a big difference between between someone uh coming up on stage and going like hey We've invited Doug to give an enjoy uh, an, a, a a talk that's going to be enjoying for you, or enlightening, or fun, or exciting. <laughs> it's a whole different thing to go. This dude's funny. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like when people go, "Hey, the funniest thing happened to me the other day." My first thought was like, "I'll be the judge of that." Yeah, you know I'm stone mean? faced. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's like the people that like lean back in their chair, they fold their arms, and they go, "Make me laugh." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a whole different thing. And so, for the last few years, I've worked with um, I've worked with TEDx and in coaching TEDx speakers. So so I'll get a call from TEDx, and they'll go like, "Hey, uh, we've got this particular presenter. Here's their topic. Are you open to work with them?" I Go, yeah, I'll work with them. And so, one of the things that that I find is. Just what we we're talking about, like when they take themselves too serious, they they're not able to really clearly communicate their idea, even if it's they're not trying to be funny. They have to have some levity to the way they see themselves or they see their content. Hopefully, both, right? Yeah. Yes. And what happens? What happens a lot of times is, is is people will want to make an excuse up front to kind of hedge their bets with the audience, and they'll go like they'll say things like I'm really nervous or this is my first time giving this talk or mm-hmm. just something to soften so they don't feel like they have to be as perfect as they think they have to right, be right? right and there's this there's this Dale Carnegie quote where he goes um, never tell your audience that you're unprepared
0: yeah because
1: yeah. Because they'll find out soon enough.
0: They will, <laughs> right? They, they really will. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And yeah, man. I don't. I don't know. It's. It's one of those things. I. I have not been dodging it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, haven't, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't yet said no to. Actually, before I came up here, like three days ago, I texted you and go, and I went, hey, is there an open mic we can hit yes. while I'm there? We were, right? we were
0: looking at them. Turns
1: out I'm flying out the day before, right? right. So we're gonna we're gonna make it happen we're make for it happen. sure. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 funny what happens when you put yourself, and I don't know if there's a more vulnerable place you can put yourself than than in front of.
0: If there was a toilet on stage, perhaps, yeah. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe. Yeah. And I mean, actually, we were talking about that at dinner. How um, how shopping for a mattress is is one of the most is it's you put yourself vulnerable. in some of the most intimate uh, positions and places. Like there's not there's not a a, a thing that a customer purchases, a consumer goods that they would go and try out in front of other people that is more intimate than a mattress. I agree. Right. Um, and I mean,
0: they don't like it when I go try on lingerie. Right. You know, <laughs> Victoria's Secret for some reason. Right. Right. Sorry about that, Victoria's Secret. I won't do that again.
1: Well, you know the customer's always right. Yeah, they, yeah. I was, I was, I looked great.
0: Um, but it is, it's extremely intimate, and and like this, this mattress, this is where families begin. This is where family members mm. end. This is just such a, such a through line for life. Yeah. And to 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 not be able to relate that to to someone to your audience. And and be respectful of that, like you were talking about, psychological awareness of putting someone at ease. Like You really are failing if you're not recognizing how important this particular product is and then how important this specific moment is for you to go fluff a pillow. Don't stand at the end of the bed while Mrs. Customer gets into it to go find a good sight, uh, line of sight on the customer, to to do whatever it is that we were talking about to make people right. comfortable, because you have to go above and beyond uh, to do that. Now, that's where it might contrast with the stage. Some people might not go above and beyond to make people comfortable. They'll say whatever they want, right? Right. Um, but uh, for, for me, um, you know, if, if there is something, you, you mentioned that, I'm supposed to make people laugh for their enjoyment if I go on stage with a microphone. Well, I would argue that um, I, I don't like that. I don't like saying that. People say that to me all the time. I'm like, I'm not in an argument. We can just have different ideas, okay? Hold um, on. I had
1: somebody say one time, yeah. I, I said to someone one time, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate. Yeah. You say that all the time. And I said this to this lady and the lady, the lady goes, sweetheart, the devil
0: has enough advocates. Oh uh, Yeah. I and like so that. I've never used that. I've one. never said that she <laughs> hit you right. okay. She's <laughs> fed up like I am too, <laughs> right. man. Well, at, I think you should go on stage and put that microphone in your hand for your enjoyment. And that's why I believe you should be prideful of laughs or no laughs. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, to a degree, you should have pride in the fact that they said no. Because mm. if they did say no, you asked. And if you ask, that's half the battle. Now, if they say, no, you probably didn't have the right preparation. You probably didn't have the right deal. You probably didn't have the right uh, whatever demeanor the whole time or, or the right offer, product, price, place, um, uh, person. So you probably didn't have one of those things. But, you know, uh, that's the contrast. It, you do, in a sales environment, have to consider making this for their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And you, we hear salespeople say that they're beaten down at the end of the day. How was your day? Oh, it's rough. The customers are really just kicking my tires and kicking my teeth in all day, whatever it is. We've heard all the sales despondence. Uh, but at the end of the day, especially with mattresses, feeding into that, you know, you know, making sure that they have an enjoyable experience is so important because of the intimacy of the purchase. And... You can, it's very easy to relate that to someone. I mean, I I even heard, um, I believe it was Kenzie bringing it up on one of his podcasts, saying that he heard something out in the field, he's going around shopping, going to different businesses and, and doing his thing, and he said that he heard from someone, I mean, maybe he read this, I don't remember exactly, but, you know, Doug, I know you've come in here for a mattress today, but. If you're going to keep your mattress for the next 10 years, for the better part of a decade, this is the one opportunity that I have a decade to make a positive influence and difference in your life and your purchase. And I really want to make the, that happen for you today. Come in here and let me help you find the right mattress. But if you really can just, like 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 we talk about, lower the lights, make them the only people in the mm-hmm. world for a moment, and put that across the, the fact that you care. And you don't have to fake it. You can really take those moments and give them that undivided attention yeah, yeah, and yeah. get something out of it as a salesman. I'm not saying that as a salesman you can't enjoy yourself as well, but I'm just saying that the enjoyment of the guests is far more important than your enjoyment because sometimes you might have to do something you don't necessarily want to do. Yeah, I give you a couple pillows or whatever it is, you know, you know those sorts of things. But for, for the most part, that's what really what's been feeding me since I've joined I used to sell TVs a long time ago, but I, you know, I sell mattresses now for the most part. I could technically still say I'm a mattress salesman, I think. And uh, knowing, knowing that they've got me and I'm gonna do whatever it takes and do the right thing in these moments uh, for that individual because it's their life that I'm going to affect. My life is the same. after that mattress gets in their home, you know? Um, but yeah, man. Uh,
1: (laughs) Have I, have I ever told you, have I told you the story about the B bag bus?
0: Uh, you did, you did, but I like, uh, I I want a refresher. So
1: my, so my, so when I was a kid I was working at my grandfather's store. So I was, I was probably in high school by this time. still very, very impressionable. And my grandfather had this thing that he would always say that he would say never practice on paying customers. And that still like rings for me. It's like, you must earn the right, never, never practice on paying customers. Be ready for your customer before they show up. So that means think through the product, think through the objections, think through who is this for, who, is, who isn't this for? Why would someone purchase this? Why wouldn't they? What is it about this product that you can get excited about, right? So all of that stuff. And so I can remember there was a, there was a day that, um, I was walking a lot of customers like a Saturday and my grandpa would always come up and ask me questions about the customer just to see how well I was doing in terms of discovery, right? Was I finding out enough about them? And so just like always, he comes up and I, I'd probably walked four in a row and he goes, so tell me about that customer. And I said, oh, no, 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 this one, they're just going to go grab lunch. And they're going to think about it, and then they're going to be back after lunch. And he puts his, I'll never forget it, he puts his arm around me. And our our store was like right on this this four-lane highway. And we were like at the bottom of this hill, and the hill kind of like went up, and then it would kind of turn, it turned into the left a little bit, and then the hill would kind of go down, so you kind of lost visibility of the road. Uh and he put his arm around me walks me out to the to the front door and he points up to right where the road disappears and he says just on the other side of that hill there's a bus stop and the be back bus picks up all of those customers that you say will be back that tell you you'll be back and every day all of those customers get on the be back bus and that bus leaves the station and every day, the b bus tragically drives off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are never any survivors, ever. Mm. So he looks at me dead in my eye, and he goes, do not let people get on the B-back bus. It is your responsibility. And I can remember thinking like, okay, that's horrifying right? Yeah, right first first right. and foremost like grand, like, grandpa could be a little sadistic when it came to yeah. stuff like that you know what i mean but the, then i can remember thinking like you know it's i'm not that kind of salesperson like i'm not gonna pressure people into buying things that they don't want to buy right and so i can remember it's probably weeks went by at least a week went by and i kind of like challenged him on the idea
0: right
1: and i can remember him saying asking me the first question is how many people do you know come shopping for furniture and mattress as a hobby because they think it's fun (laughs) because there's nothing else in the world that they'd rather be doing nobody right so do you or do you not care about your customers it's like no i absolutely care do you want them to buy the right thing and to get what they're looking for yes i do Okay, do you trust the other salespeople at the other places that they're gonna go when they leave here? No, why not? Because I don't know them. So what a gift you give them to help them make a decision, provided it's a good decision for them, and not make them drag their significant other around to seven more places, miss whatever is left of the day, hungry, Tired and probably get in an argument and wreck their night tonight, right? And I can remember thinking, like, oh, so yeah, getting on the B back bus is bad for Mike. Like, they're here because they want to make a decision. Yeah. So I should help them do that.
0: You should, absolutely. <laughs> right?
1: The B back bus, no survivors ever. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it, it kind of opened you up for self criticism. And we were talking about criticism and and yes, taking it from an audience, taking it from a coach, taking it from a friend might be one thing, but the most important, and I know this growing up being a teenager and, you you know, having a lot of uh, chips on my shoulders and thinking I'm not wrong and thinking I'm right about everything. And I mean, it took me until I was 25 to go, dad, I'm sorry for everything that I ever did. And, uh, (laughs) I was wrong and I should have known I was wrong. And now I know those things. And w- when you do deliver that self-criticism and, and say, hey, for for the, the sake of growth, and I talk to salespeople about this all the time, I get it. You say they're going to be back. Well, apparently Doug told you that they went off a cliff somewhere. Just <laughs> So, uh, but let's, for the purpose of growth, decide or just go ahead and say that they're not coming back yeah um and at the end of the day if you can go home and look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what i could have done better and what i will do better next time well just give yourself those notes give yourself that checklist and then the next time you have an opportunity and you feel uh, the b-back bus not coming uh, them leaving and not coming back i believe it's a perfectly fair point to say all the things that you just said hey I've got a great product assortment. It seems like you like this particular one. I, you know, and you say this gently, diplomatically with a smile on your face, but you you come from that point of, I care and I want to earn your business. I'm doing this work to earn your business. You guys want to go around all town. You're going to go hit six, seven places a day and look at the kind of the similar mattress. Like, let me take care of this for you now, put a deposit down. You find a better price somewhere. I match it. I beat it. I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, and we're set up to do that as a, as a retailer. So if you, I mean, th- I wish more people would get the be back story and, and would let it, uh, affect them in in a, a self critical way, or that's not a right way right to say it. Like my, my mom is so upset with me right now. She's listening. She's like, I'm an English master. And Sam sounds like he's was found in a cardboard box, uh, and just started speaking English. Um, Uh, It was a nice cardboard box Um, I I could tell you too You know In in the spirit of self-criticism In the spirit of You know Leveling the The feel In the spirit of Self-criticism with a customer I'll even self-criticize myself In front of them And Mm -hmm. I do it like this Um, You know I'm going to do what I can today to help you find the right mattress. Does that sound good? I get my yes. I get my yeses rolling out of them, okay? And I do all my psychological warfare. And part of my psychological warfare is say, you know, (laughs) that's interesting. You know, I might talk about, you know, they're wearing a, a, a sweater for a university or something like that, and I'd be like... You know, my dad was actually, you know, uh, an inorganic chemist his whole life and he was a professor and he taught people a lot of things and led a lot of research groups. And he's a really super smart guy and he teach people about equations and and molecules and the periodic table. He's so damn smart. And if he can do all that and be a scientist, a tenured scientist in his field. And I can't deliver you the goods on what you need on product information for a mattress, and I can't take you to these things today and do a good job. I've failed miserably. Okay, and I'm not. It, yeah. Anybody not listening, I get it. Yeah, Not yeah.
1: just with you, but in general. In general,
0: <laughs> I do, and and I'm not trying to diminish the challenge of uh, of a, a salesperson out there growing and and learning about this type of category, but you really do need to get to a point where if you self criticize and you tell them if I'm not able to do this for you today, I'm not doing something correctly. And if I'm not doing something correctly, I'm not earning your business. And that's what I've done here today. Like I said, when I put on my shoes, and I've told this to Doug like five times now, the, uh, my shoes, I tighten my laces. I am now the furniture salesperson. I am now the mattress salesperson. I am a character. And if that character can't pull in your business on something as simple as is pr- a mattress versus what you know other people are out there doing at a high level in their fields, which can seem very complicated and convoluted and intimidating, um, you know. So I try to disarm customers uh, from thinking that I think I'm so great. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm no better than anybody else. You have a million dollars. I want to help you and that's kind of like the three rules that i go into each conversation with so
1: yeah and and it's like this is a paraphrase because i i know i'm going to get it wrong uh but there's this marcus aurelius quote where he says to to be to be hard on yourself and gentle with others you know because and and most people are really good at self-criticism most people are really, really good at it. What we miss is for what end or for what purpose, right? If we're criticizing ourselves because we don't think we're worth anything, then that's not helpful. But if we're criticizing ourselves because we know we're not yet who we can become, that's that's where the good stuff is, right? Because it's... It, because when, when most people think about criticism, they think about something really negative. It's almost like when people hear the word accountability, mm-hmm. right? It's like it sends like fear into the hearts and mm-hmm. minds of, of people. When you have a leader or a manager or a boss that looks at you and goes, I will hold you accountable, right? This immediate negative thing, mm-hmm. right? And most of the time, the people that are the most afraid of that are people that don't hold themselves accountable, mm-hmm right? So it's like, if you're going to be critical, well, be critical of something that you can improve, right? And that's, I mean, it's kind of like what we started in the beginning. It's like confidence is something you earn. The only way you earn confidence is to have the courage to do something that you will likely fail. You know, it's, um, I was listening to a podcast with Seth Godin, this is months and months ago, but he said to ask yourself, what would you do what would be worth doing if there were no possibilities of succeeding? Hmm. Like, what is worth failing? Like, for sure you will fail, but what is still worth doing? Golf. golf. All <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of like built into the whole game. Yeah, that's right? it. Is that's the game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is it? The, is it? They say it's like the the golf is the best way to ruin a perfectly good walk. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think. I think that that's one of the important things for, for us as salespeople, for sure is like being willing to criticize ourselves because if we're not, then if we can't criticize us, then we can't, then we don't allow other people to do it either. Right. And when other people can't criticize us, that puts us in a position to only be able to be effective with people that are exactly like us. And when that's true, we have a very, very, very small percentage of people that we can really connect and communicate with.
0: And, and that, that that can only be a bigger percentage of people if as leaders, we're not doing what the basketball coach did to me. We're not throwing basketballs into people's guts and knocking the wind out of them. So despite, you know, saying I need to be able to criticize and take criticism, you... you, you You share those moments with people and you say, you know, you did well with this. You did well with this for the purpose of growth. Let's talk about the fact that they asked you about the warranty and you didn't know anything. Well, you got to be able to serve that over to your your the person you're training or the person you're, you know, trying to hold accountable delicately, um, respectfully and, you know, just shocking their system and saying, you know, you could have done better. Right. You, you, you probably could have said this, but you didn't. And I don't think those people are coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, albeit there is a teaching moment with like the be back bus and in, in some cases with people, um, but really kind of taking a hard line to someone and, and, and making them feel bad and knocking the wind out of them is not a, a great way to criticize. And, and that's what people are afraid of. They, they don't want the wind taken out of their sails. They, they, they take their own wind out of their sails all the time. And they might, like you said, not be self criticizing themselves in healthy ways. They might be ke- keeping themselves from growing as right. opposed to saying, all right, well, I did this incorrectly. And, and the next time I sell a four bedroom home, I'm gonna make sure I, you know, start from the top on my yeah. mattress presentation or do right. it in the beginning or whatever, you know, it might be. Yeah. But I, uh, I definitely um, uh, agree with you that, you um, the goal out of, of self criticism is growth.
1: Right. Well, I think it's the the question we have to ask is, are we criticizing ourselves as an excuse to continue that path? Or are we criticizing ourselves as a way to encourage us to make an adjustment and to edit, iterate, and then do it different. Like it's, it's my belief that you, you can get tripped up by an objection any objection once, mm-hmm. but once you have gotten stumped, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get tripped up twice. Not again. You Not shouldn't, again, yeah. because if you're criticizing yourself for, oh, and the other thing is, is as a, as a leader, as a manager, there's a, there's a Delcar car in um, how to win friends and influence people. There's a principle Dale Carnegie has in there that says, um, make the fault seem easy, uh, seem easy to correct. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, what's wrong with you? It's not an effective, um, means for, uh, for encouraging change, right? It's like, okay, so what happened? Well, why do you think that happened? Well, what do you what do you think could have been a different way to approach that? Right, because everything's a guess in sales. Like you're always <laughs> guessing. You All never opinions. know. It right? is for sure. And so it's like it's really more about how do you play the odds well, right? Over time, and then you and then you learn. Well, when, when I'm in this situation or I have this, I have this objection. Well, I know that I can play these the odds in this way because the customer. Uh, is is this way, or has said this other things, or I have this data from these other times Absolutely. that I've been successful, or I've or I failed. Yeah, right. I got a
0: suited king queen in my hand now. What do I do? You want to be familiar with that next time you get it. Right. Next time you see what goes on the table, all those sorts of things. Because, yeah, the the reluctance to do that is purely uh, you also your your stagnation in your progress and mm. your career development is if you're reluctant to do any of that, uh, y- you just work backwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Okay. So, so one thing we talked yeah. about earlier today that, that also comes to mind is, is we talked about the, um, talked about this go, driving to dinner. Yeah. We talked about the, uh, the importance of creativity Yeah, with sales it being in a sales capacity. So in your mind, is creativity something you either have or don't? I or can you learn? You can learn
0: creative? creativity, but we've discussed something similar to this. You cannot learn to be funny, so it's related to comedy. So we'll just put that aside, though. You can't okay. learn to be funny, but you certainly, I believe, you can learn to be creative. Um, but uh, the creativity only comes from your failure. Hmm. I mean you if you why would you change anything? Why would you adapt if you kept succeeding? And this was like a basic principle that was instilled in me in acting school was you can do a hand a headstand, okay Good. Are you proud that you can do what you can do? Now try to do that you know, this was like a movement class. Try to do that hand, headstand and do a split with your legs and point your toes down at the ground. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I can't do that. Well, if you're not willing to try and fail, then you do not develop. You do not, uh, you know, create a path for yourself. You just stay in one spot. And so I think that's really what a lot of this boils down to is this self-criticism, the criticism you get from an audience during comedy, the criticism you might potentially get up front from a, 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 a guest. I mean, people say it to me all the time, like, Hey, buddy, you know, nothing you got here even comes close to what I saw over there. Right. What are what are you going to do to earn my business? I said, I don't know. I mean, what were they offering you? What was it? I investigate. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, if if I can't take that as a learning experience and say I didn't have the right answer for him. He was Sure. He was challenging me. Sure. You might've had a little weird attitude with me about it. Cause I've already found what I was looking for somewhere else. And there's no way you can match this deal. I got someone who has these things fall off the back of trucks and I get them for a discount and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's like, uh, well, okay. Um, I, what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, like, uh, so you can answer those things if you can self critique and in terms of creativity, when you criticize yourself, you can have lots of answers. You can have lots of solutions to your creativity. You don't have to say Doug knows the answer. Someone knows the answers. You're like, you might know five answers. Right. Uh, so I, I think creativity can certainly be taught though. I may like I've been taught it by a city. I've been taught it by my old mm-hmm. mattress job. I used to work in how to be creative to sell a mattress. And there were things that I didn't know yeah. that I've been open to learning. So, um, that can be taught. Not a lot of things can though, in terms of, you know, what energy you have and your right. disposition and the, your character and, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I, um, I, I have a, I I'm, I'm of the persuasion that creativity, no matter how much of it you think you have, you have infinitely more. Because we use our creativity every single day. We just don't always use it in a way that serves us. Right. Right. So like here, here's an example. because, And I've done this with large groups, like <laughs> three to 500 people groups. Is the cat like filing out right now?
0: That's the cat feeder. If anybody can hear it, it's an automatic cat feeder. I uh, travel a lot and have to feed my cats when I'm not here. There you go. Right. <laughs>
1: I felt like the the. Wall was falling. Was yeah, I thought I might have to make a creative exit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> criticize
0: me for my place falling apart. Right. Uh,
1: so, so okay, so here's here's what I was saying before about, you were rudely interrupted right, by the cat by food. the cat food. Yeah. So. So we, I've done this in in large groups, like three, four, five hundred people, and I've asked the question. By a show of hands, how many of you would say that you are not creative? Hmm. And normally, it's like close to half of the of any room that I've ever asked yeah, that question that way. would go, not. I'm not creative. And it's one of the few times that I'll really challenge, like, I, I will really call people out and go, you're incorrect. Right. And I can, because, and I only say that so directly to people because I can prove it. So here's how you, here's how you prove it. So if you don't think that you're creative, your fear, your fear is an indication of your infinite creativity. Hmm. Here's what I mean. This happened this happened a week ago um, for me. So a, a week ago my, we're, we're all in sort of the living room at my house. I've got a 10 year old daughter, a three year old son, me and my wife and my two kids are, are in the living room. And my daughter, my 10 year old, she goes, mommy, daddy, I don't feel good. And she's starting. she's looking a little pale. And then she goes, I'm feeling really nauseous. And so she takes off to the bathroom. She throws up. So as a dad, I'm I see this happening and I know what's happening in front of me. What's happening in front of me is my daughter didn't feel good. She threw up. That's the only reality that I have. I have no more information. So then I start to think like, okay, what has she eaten? Is it has she eaten something bad? Ha, where have we eaten? Is there anything this is is the milk bad? Maybe did she did did she have undercooked meat, right? So I start thinking about some of this stuff trying to investigate. And then Fear, fear hijacks my creativity. So then I go f- past the interrogation of what's really going on and the reality of what's happening, and I go, "Oh my gosh, what if, what if she can't stop throwing up? What? So what if she gets dehydrated? Well, gosh, it's going to be really expensive. We have to take her to the emergency room tonight, right? Well, gosh, what if, what if she's like really, really sick? Maybe, maybe this is like a symptom of something else going on. Like Mm -hmm. maybe she has like, maybe she has like a tumor on like her stomach or or something. Right. And so I go to worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And within 15 seconds, I'm, I am in my heart and mind at my daughter's memorial service. Right. Right. But she's just thrown up one time. Yeah. Right. That's creativity. Yes. Right. Because I have created this entire world. (laughs) That does not, has not ever, and probably will not ever exist, but I've created it because we allow our
0: fear to use our creativity more than we use it. Right. It's like, it's like a, yeah, it's not allowing us to access it. It, Something's accessing the first. What is that? Well.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So instead of going like, okay, well, it's clear I'm create creative because I can. I, my fear uses it all the time. So the question isn't, am I creative or am I not creative? The question is, is am I willing to use my creativity for the benefit of my outcomes? Yes. Am I willing to use it for my good, and not just allow my fear or my insecurities to use it to torment me? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, one of the biggest things about creativity, but like confidence, I don't think it's a choice. Mm. Right. I think creativity is something you have to prove. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, you know, kind of going back to like my my mom and like her confuse and conquer techniques with me and my sister is she proved to me she she put me in positions to prove as a kid that I could I could wit myself out of conversations or arguments or or problems or issues because she for she 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 forced me to earn the right in a lot of ways right so bro me and my sister and my mom get together and it is like it is like verbal Karate kid it's not karate kid. It's Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. right. It's we're sweeping the leg hard, right? Yeah, but we know that we can take it right, but my mom doesn't do that to my nieces and nephews and Cousins, Mm -hmm. you know, what I mean my sister doesn't go at You know Other people in her life. I don't go at most people like that. You know what I mean? but but those are the places that like when we're willing to have a little bit of courage When we're willing to earn the right to be creative, we're, we're willing to earn the right to, uh, to be confident. Like that's, that's where all of this stuff, all of the good stuff, like that's where it comes from. Right. Yeah. And it's rarely super fun in the moment.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) It it isn't, but you know, an image that comes to mind, it, it, you know, It's not a good image, so I'll I'll leave that part out. I was just gonna, uh, well, well, all right, I'll say it. So it's like you, you on a day to day basis, you it's like going to Publix and and you know filling up your cart and putting all these things you need in it. Okay, so that's your self criticism. That's like okay, I need a little bit of humility for this. I need a little bit of, uh, you know. Uh, courage to do this. I need I need to be able to say that I was wrong in this situation. So that you you gather these things, these self criticisms, and you have to put them in there and identify them and to be able to take them out. And it's not a great metaphor. I was trying to again, we're on a podcast. I'm over here trying to be like super smart, okay, <laughs> and, and I'm like trying to be brilliant, but I can't be that brilliant. It's the it's the Ali quote where he says the uh, the hands can't
1: hit what the eyes can't see. That's it.
0: Right. Okay. That's it. I hey, had the greatest. Cut, cut, cut that. Cut that last part out. <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> let's get, let's get what Doug said in there. But no, it was great that your mom taught you that. You know, my mom taught me patience and the way she taught me patience was she'd pick me up from school and she'd take me to Walmart and I'd be like, you're just going in to get a couple things. Right. And she'd be like, I'll be back in 10 minutes. And I would sit in the car for two hours roll the window down, get a little air and I'd be fine. I'd open the door and swing my legs out and all this sort of stuff. But I really could have used a little bit of that, uh, uh, conversational Cobra Kai because all I got out of my mom was patience, just the utmost amount of patience, which is why, you know, in sales, <laughs> someone comes in and they start <laughs> questioning me up and down. I'm just, yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, go ahead. What's that? Well, okay. Uh, so I I could have used a dash of that, uh, that, that, uh, Doug, mom, I'll
1: give you, I'll give you a quick example. So a couple of months ago, my dad had, um, had brain surgery. So my, my dad has, um, this form of Parkinson's it runs in my family and, and it sort of runs in the men on my dad's side. So I, I may be, hopefully not, but I may be in line for this. So it, it, it shows up primarily in his hands. My grandfather, his hands as well. And so it's like tremors, mm-hmm. right? It's not like the Michael J. Fox where like, right. You, it's like, it's not the kind that like that you die from, yeah. but it's the kind that pretty much like over time you lose the ability to do some important stuff like eat, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can't hold stuff on a spoon or a fork right. or whatever. So there's this procedure that you can do that. They go in and essentially put electrodes into your brain and then they can control the, that motor function. Mm. So he does this surgery and uh, he wakes up from the surgery completely still. No shaking, no tremors. And he had had it so bad and had it for so long that it comp- he, he couldn't walk after the procedure because it, his equilibrium was so messed up from shaking and then not shaking. It's almost like being on a, you know, you're uh, on yeah, a boat yeah. for a long time mm-hmm. and you get off the boat on regular land and you're like, whoa, what's mm-hmm. happening? Like it, it just messes him up. So he has it for two years. And then he gets this infection um, and it turns out when you have an infection in your brain, they take it very seriously. So we, we rush him in for, uh, for, for surgery. They've got to take all this stuff out, get it out. They've got to figure out what's going on because you have an infection in your brain is no bueno. Right? Uh-huh. So my dad's in surgery having all this stuff taken out. Everybody's really worried. Me and my sister, my mom, we're at the hospital. So I, I tell my mom like, okay, mom, we got to We got to get out of this waiting room. So like, let's go get some food. So me and my mom are walking down and for all intents and purposes, mom's stressed. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean that mom's not going to try to ninja, ninja me with some of this stuff that she does. Right. So we're walking down. We're at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, one of the best hospitals. And at least on the East, maybe in America, it's an incredible hospital So we're walking down the hallway to the food court area and my mom goes, oh my God, do you see that? And she like, just looking straight. And I was like, what? She was like, the fire. And I look up and I was like, what? What? I mean, we're in a hospital. Like if there's a fire, it's a problem. And I was like, what fire? Like, what are you talking And I'm like looking around, like, what are you talking about? And she looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? I was like, mom, you said there was a fire. She was like, what are you talking about? Doug, are you feeling okay? Uh-huh. You do, Are you okay? Uh-huh. And I'm like, Mom, come on. And she was like, what?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so she's completely gaslighting me, right? Uh-huh. In this very stressful time uh-huh. when we shouldn't be screwing around. Completely gaslights me, right? So I'm like, all right, Mom, whatever. And she keeps acting like she hasn't done anything. So we go about another 20 feet. And I start going like that, like breathing really, inhaling really hard in my, in my nose. And she goes, she goes, what the hell are you doing? I was like, I smell smoke. Mm -hmm. And she was like, stop it. You know what I mean? And like, we both know that we're completely lying to each other. Right. But it's like, that kind of stuff happens a hundred percent of the time with her. And it's like confusing conquer. She just wants to like, it's, it's almost like she wants to push you to see if you'll fall over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because if you'll fall over for this, the thing that's happening with dad, you're not going to be able to deal. Right. Right. Yeah. And when that's happening to you when you're four <laughs> and seven mm-hmm. and like we won't, I won't tell you this whole story now, this is for a different day. But when I was 12 years old, um, well, I, we, I grew up in a, in a very religious, um, Southern, Baptist Christian household. And so one of the things that was really big was um, we would, people would keep their kids in line by threatening things like eternal conscious torment, right? Like eternity in hell, right? That's how we kept people like in line. Right. And so one of the things that was common part, commonplace in terms of conversation in that culture is a thing called the rapture, right? Where Jesus comes back and brings Mm -hmm. all the believers. So when I was 12 years old, my mother faked the rapture. Oh man. And she made me believe that the rapture had happened. Oh. And created this environment where for about 20 to 30 minutes, I'm 12 years old. And I thought everyone I knew and loved had been taken up. Mm. And I'm so right. So did she like, walk you
0: into a Kmart? No.
1: <laughs> no. Actually, she told me it was gonna happen. Because of the way I was acting, it sent me to my room. And when I came out, she hid from me. But she not just did did she hide, but she laid out clothes in the kitchen where she was standing when I left her, like shirt, pants, the whole thing. So it looked like she had been left behind. Right. I had been left behind and she had been taken up. Yeah. And man, it was just stuff like that, but.
0: I like this woman. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I, sometimes, sometimes I do. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, you got, I'm on your side.
1: Yeah, But the thing is, is she, she one of the things <laughs> that she wanted for her kids is she wanted to know that life, when life pushed on us, we wouldn't fall over. Right. And when it comes to being a salesperson, a business person, just a human being, Yes. we have to be willing to put ourselves, whether that's in comedy, and being the, the, the prophet that kind of pokes and prods to see where the pain is and is willing, willing to like notice ooh that hurts well why did that hurt What now what do I do about it right mm-hmm. we've got to know that we're sturdy enough that we're not just mm-hmm. going to fall over at every little thing
0: that's right that's and, a good it, it's a yeah, I know probably was very stressful for you growing up at times but that's a good outlook man it's good to be impervious to and it's also considered child abuse today yeah, hey fair <laughs> enough you know whatever <laughs> you know, that's why that's why I like her <laughs> so, you know you know yeah. Uh, I'm going to use yeah. some of those tactics now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like, there's two things when I tell
1: that story to, to like groups about the rapture, like tell the whole story. I'll say the, the, there's, there's two lessons here. The first lesson that you need to know for sure for the parents is that is not effective way of disciplining your children. So that's, don't do that. And the second thing that you should know is, is, <laughs> is therapy as an adult has been very expensive. Right. <laughs> right? It sure,
0: it sure has. I mean, I, I, I've, um, I've subscribed to a few different forms of therapy, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the most effective thing for me was realizing that it's mind and body. Yeah. And I had a guy and it was mainly stress. I was dealing with anxiety that I was dealing with. And I'll tell you, you know, I went to acting school after this, um, which was great by the way, to learn how to deal with anxiety. Like people are like, why are you calm? You're talking in front of 50 people. That's problematic for me. I'm like, it's not for me because I've done it for many years. I have a lot of experience yeah. and I've already kind of learned how to, you know, tame the body. Cause it's usually in breath. I mean, we could have a whole nother right. thing. Oh, that's like, a whole nother, thing. a whole nother thing. Nervous and, energy, and, leaving the body. Right. Yeah, leaving yeah, the yeah. body, and, and that's, that's when you and I talk about, improv, you and I talk about some of these creative aspects of, of training salespeople. Uh, there's always a primer to it. You, you know, we'll talk about games. We'll talk about things that we can unlock people and have fun with. But before it, it's about what you just said, taking the nervous energy out of your body, controlling breath, not having the shakes come about. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, are a precursor to the creativity. And that's again, a whole nother right, a whole right. nother thing. That's technique. That's that's understanding. That's meditation. It could be a lot of things, but I could definitely tell you that, uh, sales and comedy go hand in hand. Yeah. And if I'm going to lose a sale, I will at least make you laugh mm. and I still won. I yeah. still the, Hey, if I didn't have the right thing for you guys today and I had some really good products to show you and some good things, can you give, give me as a referral to one of your friends? And, and I can only have permission to do that if I light them up. Right. Right. So it's always an objective for me and I, and I, and I'll relish in my failure. If I say something, I've said things to customers and I've been like, ba blah, 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 blah. And I look at them and nothing i'm like all right that didn't work uh, i'm sorry about that <laughs> uh continuing on so what were you guys uh but no th- this is this is great i, I really want to have like i feel like uh when you come down like we could have several topics of conversation yeah you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah of of well self-enlightenment for me because you i mean just even this is like i said like i've never never registered in my mind that i should care about the audience i'm speaking to on the stand up stage. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure I practice that. Cause I think it would feed into, uh, laughs. I hope. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see. yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I'm maybe I'm probably just not funny. <laughs> Nobody likes me <laughs> and I'm just destined to, uh, fail at comedy, uh, but succeed at selling mattresses. But, uh, no, either way, I, I, like I said in the beginning, you, I, I succeed either way. If I fail, yeah. I succeed. Yeah. And if you embrace that, you're, you're a good salesperson.
1: A hundred percent, hundred percent, bro. I agree. We got to do it again. This has been super fun. Yeah. We, we You know, we've only gone for an hour and 42 minutes. Okay. So so only. Yeah, just I'm getting saying. started. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, part two coming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I'll put in the description, I'll put links to all of, all of your things, city, the whole thing. So, okay. um, for those of you listening, check out Sam and all of, all the things, uh, in the description, make sure you're spending time on the fam, uh there's a link to my LinkedIn down there as well. So um thoughts, comments, snide remarks, uh knock knock jokes, like whatever whatever floats your boat, put it in there. And we will see you in the next episode. All right. Well uh, that, was fun. that was fun. Peace out to them.